Hey guys, welcome to week two of the Journeys series. What we're doing this summer is we're going to look from Genesis to Revelation at these amazing journeys, real journeys, real trips that people took in the Bible. Now, if you're like me, summertime always brings to mind the idea of the American road trip, right? And behind me, I have this amazing Airstream and this amazing classic Jeep. Uh, and it just brings to mind great trips that I've taken. I know you have as well. Well, guess what? The Bible, endlessly interesting and totally powerful and dependable. The Bible itself is loaded with incredible journeys that people took. So during this series, what we're doing is we're taking a close look. We're going to examine 10 different journeys, beginning in Genesis, ending in the book of Revelation, all the way from Noah to John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation. And we're not just going to see their itineraries and where they went and where they left from and how long they were gone. We're going to do the most important thing we can do with Scripture. We're going to see who our God really is. Scripture is there primarily before anything else. Scripture is there to reveal to us who God is. That's why it's called the revelation of God. It's revealing who He is, His character, how He works, how He deals with us, how He loves us, how He takes sin seriously, which we learned last week with Noah. So today we're going to look at another journey, a journey that's going to help us understand who God is. And as we said in every single piece of Scripture, including these 10 journeys, they all point us to the gospel. They all point us to Jesus. So welcome to week two. Today we're going to take a look at another great journey. This is called the three-day journey that a man named Abraham took with his 15-year-old son Isaac. And this changed both of their lives forever. And it also is recorded not just once. It's recorded several times in Scripture because we need to learn the lessons that Abraham and Isaac learned on their three-day journey. So join me now as we take another trip, another journey in the Bible. So today we're going to look at a trip that Abraham took with Isaac. Now we need a little background information so we can understand these characters and what this is all about. So Abraham, we know from the Bible, is a very important figure. In Jewish history, he's known as Father Abraham. There's even a covenant that was made. We learned last week that God made a covenant with Noah called the Noahic Covenant, where he said, I'll never destroy the earth in this way again. And he gave a sign, the rainbow. Well, God made a covenant with Abraham as well, and he told him, as an old man, that Abraham would have offspring, which in and of itself would be a miracle, and that one day God would bring a great nation from Abraham. These were 
covenants that he made with him. And we know now from the advantage of history that God did that, that he was absolutely faithful. But at this point in the journey, God had miraculously brought into Abraham and his wife Sarah's life a baby, a miraculous baby. And this baby's name was Isaac. Now, a lot of people, when they hear the story of Abraham and Isaac, they, they, this is a famous Bible story, but they often see Isaac as a little bitty boy. But we know historically that he's about 15 years old. He's a teenager, right? He's able to legally drive the, the camel now, if you know what I'm saying. You know, he's got, his, he's got his camel driving permit at this point. So he knows what's going on. And in this story, we're going to find that God is going to give Abraham a test, a test. And, and Abraham's going to end up passing the test. And in doing so, he's going to teach us so many things. So now, lest you and I get our Bibles, our devices out, we're going to go to, to the book of Genesis, and we're going to begin to slowly read through the account of the three-day journey that Abraham and Isaac took. Because if you understand the story, you understand Isaac, this 15-year-old boy now, would have been, man, the love of Abraham's life and Sarah's life. I mean, they love him so much. He is their miracle child. He's their miracle son. And now God is going to ask Abraham to do something that's almost unimaginable. But in doing so, he's going to teach us so much and point us to Jesus. Let's go to the Bible right now. All right, turn in your Bibles or your devices, if you will, to uh, the book of Genesis chapter 22. And let's begin to read there. We're just going to read through this amazing historical account. It says this, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. Now let's just stop right there because we need to know something about God. God is our great teacher. One of the many things we learn about God from the Bible is one thing is that He loves us and He's our Father. And if we are in Him, if we have a relationship with Him, and Abraham did. Abraham had a relationship with God. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that, that Abraham had faith in God. It was accounted to him righteousness. So just like Noah was saved by faith, Abraham was saved by faith as well. He had believed in God for his salvation, all right? Well, the Bible tells us here that Abraham loved him, but that he tested Abraham. Now, you need to understand that God will test you since he is our teacher. Like any father does with his children, he teaches them. But anytime you teach someone information, a good teacher is going to give you a test, right? Going to give you a quiz, if you will, on that information. Well, God had been teaching Abraham. He had been teaching him all of his promises, teaching him that he could be faith, that he could trust him, right? At this point in the game, Abraham has a miraculous uh, 15-year-old son, Isaac, who was a miracle baby because Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were old, really old folks when they shouldn't have been able to have a baby, all right? And they did. So at this point in Abraham's life, God has taught him about his faithfulness. God has taught him about uh, Abraham being able to trust God and that God will never let him go. And when God promises something, he comes through. Okay, so Abraham had learned many lessons, but now it's time to put those lessons to the test. It's time to quiz him. Now, any good teacher does this, but a lot of times people mix up two words that are very important to understand. What God will do for every Christian is he will test us. But let me tell you what he will never do. He will not do. He will never tempt you. God does not tempt you. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that God will never tempt us, that when we are carried away into sin, to never say, God tempted me, God did this. No, no, God will never tempt you. Now, what's the difference between temptation, which is what our enemy Satan will do? He will tempt you, but God will test you. What's the difference? Well, temptation 
has the motivation for your destruction. When Satan tempts you, he's trying to destroy you. When Satan sets a trap for you, that's exactly what it is. It is to trap and to destroy. But when God tests you, what he's trying to do is grow you. The difference in temptation and a test is that temptation destroys, but tests grows us. So I want you to understand that you can, you can know this. God will never tempt you. God's never trying to get you to sin. When God asked Abraham to do what he's about to ask him to do with his son, he was not setting Abraham up for failure. He was trying to grow Abraham. And God will do that as, with you as well. He did it all throughout the Bible. With the children of Israel, when he brought them through the Red Sea, when he rescued them from Egypt in what we call the Exodus, the first thing he did when they came across the Red Sea is he tested them to see if they would trust him since he had just proven to them his faithfulness. He then tested them with water. They couldn't find water in the desert. They had to learn to trust Him. And throughout the Bible, you will see God teaches and He tests. He teaches and He tests, but He will never, ever tempt you. And this is something, right out of the gate, we learn something about our Heavenly Father. God wants to grow us. God wants to grow you. He was wanting to grow Abraham. And every ingredient He allows to be blended into our lives, every ingredient is there to grow us, not to destroy us, not to harm us, not to hurt us, but to grow us and mature us. The Bible tells us in the book of James that God wants us to be perfect, lacking in nothing. And, and the only one who could ever say that he was perfect and lacking in nothing was Jesus. Well, that makes sense since the Bible teaches us that God is growing us all into the image of Jesus. Like that's our aspirational goal. We want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus was perfect. He lacked nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I'm not that, right? I'm still climbing that hill. I, I still lack many things. Abraham did too, and that's exactly why God tested Abraham. It's exactly why he tests you. So when you find yourself being tested by your great teacher, don't freak out. Don't get angry. Trust him that he is trying to grow you and mature you in your faith. So let's go back to these verses again now in verse 2. Then God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now let's take a moment to look at verse 2 because this is a very powerful verse. So Abraham says like he always does to God. He's communicating. And he says, here I am. And, and there's, a, there's a humility about Abraham. There's also uh, a surrender to him. It's always, here I am, whatever you need, God. My, Abraham long ago had pushed all of his cards to the center of the table. But God is going to even grow him more. And I love that because you would think at this point, Abraham has been so faithful to God. Abraham has, God has made a covenant with him. There's all these things. And yet God's still not done with him. And that tells me that he's not done with us. It doesn't matter how far along you are in your walk with God, he's not done with you. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, writer of most of the New Testament, in the New Testament wrote, and he said, look, I've not attained it yet. Not that I've arrived, not that I've attained, but I push forward to the goal set before me in Christ Jesus. So Paul understood, even at his very high level of faith in Christianity, that he had farther to go. You and I do as well. But here what we see is that God communicates to Abraham in a very specific way. And now this is something that I see in my own life as a dad because today is Father's Day. And I know a lot of you are dads. You may be sitting there with your children right now and being a dad is an awesome thing. And I just want to honor all you guys who are dads. Well, what we get to do today in this story is we get to see a real dad. Abraham was a real dad. He's also a good dad. 
He's also a godly dad. And we're going to see all the ways in which Abraham was a great dad. But, but if you want to know how much Abraham loved his kid, you can hear it and how God talked to him. Now, God is Abraham's father, right? And he's our father as well. And I don't know how you dads are, but I'm, I, I can tell you the moment one of my kids are upset by the tone of their voice. I can tell what my kids are thinking. I can tell what they're feeling just by facial expression, tone. I know my kids. And I know when I have their heart and their attention and when I don't. And let me tell you something that God wants from all of us as his children. He wants to get to our hearts and he knows how to. When God wants to test you, when God wants to grow you, mold you, change you, he knows how to get to your heart. He knows how to pick through all of your masks, all of your veneer. He knows how to peel all of that back and get to your heart. And he does it uniquely in different ways for different people. He knows what means most to you. Trust me, he knows. He knows what means a little too much to me. And guess what the thing in Abraham's life was? That maybe he had loved too much. Maybe it consumed him too much. Maybe he decided he couldn't live without it. That was his son, Isaac. And listen to the language God uses. It's very, uh, very powerful here. So God said to him, take your son. That's the first line, right? Take your son. That's the exterior. Your boy, your child, your offspring. But then he goes further. Your only son, Isaac. You hear how God's talking here? He is, remind, he is making an emotional appeal. So he's not just going exterior. Now he's going deeper. I understand that Isaac's your only son. And then he reminds him whom you love. God says, I know you love him. I know how much you love Isaac. I know how much Isaac means to you. Isaac was my promise to you that I kept. Isaac is your miracle baby. Isaac's this boy you're so proud of. You love that boy. And, and, and you know what? God knows that Isaac holds a very special place in Abraham's heart. In fact, God uses words here that are very important and very powerful. In the second part there, he says, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. I want to talk to you for just a moment about what God meant when he said your only son, Isaac. So let's take a look for a moment at this very important wording here. So in the Hebrew, the word that is used here in this original language for the idea of Isaac being his only son is the word yahid. 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 It means one of a kind. It means there is no other. It means special. It means unique in every way. And it's a very unique and unusual term. It's hardly used at all in the Bible. Well, the way the Bible works is our Old Testament was brought to us via Hebrew, but our New Testament is translated into Greek. And the Greek idea for Yahid is this beautiful word, uh, monogenes. Monogenes. Monogenes is the word that is used here. And you know that one of the only other places this word usage is used in the Bible? When the Bible says God gave His only begotten Son so that we could know Him, so that we could have a relationship with Him. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Yahid, Monogonez. And here we see way back in this story, remember I told you, every journey in the Bible points to Jesus. Every story, every verse, every line, every letter, every character, every victory and every defeat, all of it's pointing us to Jesus and the gospel, the culmination of biblical history, the, the apex of what the revelation of God would lead us to is Jesus and the gospel. And here, way back in this ancient story of Abraham and Isaac, we see the foreshadowing pointing us right to Jesus. Because Abraham, God reminds him, has a son. God says, this is your son, but he's not just your son. 
He's your only son. He's Yahid. He's unique. There's no other Isaac in your eyes, in your heart. And we would learn later in the New Testament that God, when He gave us His greatest gift, He gave us His Yahid, His Monogenes, His only begotten Son. And what we see here is God tapped all the way down into Abraham's heart. And let's just stop for a minute and understand that our Heavenly Father will do the same with us. God knows the things in my heart that are getting too big, that are too important to me. And most importantly, God knows when I worship something besides Him, when I've allowed something to rise to too high of a level in my life, and God will tap that. He will drill down into that part of me so that He can test me, so that He can deal with that. He'll do that with you. So let me ask you a question. I got to ask it. You got to ask it today. What is your Isaac? What's my Isaac? What do I mean by that? I mean, what in your life means just a little too much to you? It's not that it's a bad thing on its own. Certainly the love of a father for his son is not a bad thing. But it could be if your child comes before God, if your relationship with a child comes before your relationship with God. And by the way, that's not a good thing for your kid, for you to worship your kid. Understand the Bible tells us that the, right out of the gate in the Ten Commandments, God said, you will have no other gods before me. That includes your own family. That includes don't worship your kids, don't worship your spouse, because when you worship anything and anyone other than God, you crush whatever that is or whomever that is, you crush them beneath the weight that only God can hold. Only God can handle the weight of worship. Men and women are not meant to be worshipped. Kids are not meant to be worshipped. Stuff is not meant to be worshipped. So what we see here is God's tapping on Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, you're, you're really close. You, you love this boy, and, and that can be a good thing. It can, also, it can also go too far. So what's your Isaac today? What do you need to put in its proper place? What is maybe creeping too close in importance to that place that belongs only to God and only to your relationship with God? What is your Isaac? So let's go back to the Bible here. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. I love that. There is no equivocation. There is no uh, record here that Abraham argued with God or that Abraham tried to talk God into doing something different. This would have been stunning for God to tell him, take your son and offer him up in the mountains as a sacrifice. That would be really hard to hear. But yet, verse 3 takes us straight to Abraham's obedience, and it is, it is immediate obedience. It says he rose the next morning. Guys, listen, delayed obedience is no obedience, all right? It's not obedience if it's delayed. When God says do something, we need to do it. And Abraham, again here, models this radical and immediate obedience. He gets up the next morning, early in the morning, and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. He's getting ready for the trip. He's getting ready for the journey, just like you pack your bags, just like you get ready. If you're going fishing, you take the rods and the tackle. If you're going hiking, you take your boots and your, your gear. If you're going uh, skiing, you're, you're taking the snow skis and, and the jackets. Well, he's getting ready for, for what he knows is a worship trip. It's a sacrificial trip. So he splits the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place for which God had told him. He did it exactly like he said. Then verse 4, on the third day. So this was a three-day journey. You ever had one of those long weekend trips? It's not a week-long vacation, but I like quick trips like that, right? Three days is awesome. Well, they took a three-day trip. 
And it says here, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. That would have been Mount Moriah. Now what most theologians believe is the area where Mount Moriah was, like Mount Moriah itself is only a couple of hundred yards from what they believe is Golgotha as well. Isn't it interesting that God would lead Abraham to go to the place to sacrifice his son where God is going to end up truly sacrificing his only Yahid son of God in that very same spot? Well, he sees the place. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with a donkey. The lad and I, the lad, that's how we know that he was a teenager. That, that word is very important. We will go yonder, uh, which tells you Abraham's a southerner, right? He's, he's from Alabama, yonder. Anyway, uh, we'll go yonder and we'll worship and we will come back to you. Now that is interesting, isn't it? He says, we will come back to you. See, Abraham's already showing you who he is because Abraham trusted God completely. Abraham, for some reason, understands that God wants him to sacrifice Isaac, but he does not believe he's coming back without Isaac. He believes that even though God's told him to sacrifice him, he looks confidently at these men and he says, we're going up on the mountain, we're going to do this offering. When I come back, the lad's coming with me. Now, how, how, do, we, how do we know what Abraham was thinking there. Did you know the Bible actually tells us in the New Testament what he was thinking? Let's take a look at that right now. So the Bible actually tells us in the New Testament what Abraham was thinking, why he was able to look at his men and confidently say, I'm going up the mountain. Now at this point, none of them know, including Isaac, that Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac's life as a sacrifice. But Abraham trusts God. He is, he is being tested by God. He doesn't even know it, but he has such trust in God. What was going through his mind? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says this, by faith, all right, so right there where you are, will you just say those words by faith? Like wherever you are, beach, porch, wherever you are in the world, by faith. I want you to understand how important that is. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, not tempted, tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. See, now that tells you how deep this goes, because not only was God telling him to go and sacrifice his miraculous son, Isaac, but remember God had made promises to Abraham, a great nation's going to come from you, many offspring like the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. And if Isaac dies, that's done. That's the end of the line. So this looks like God is going back on his promises, but Abraham didn't believe that because Abraham had already learned enough about God to know that he never broke his promises. Look at verse 19. Here's what he was thinking. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. What this means is Abraham, in his mind, had decided, and, and remember, no one had ever seen someone raised from the dead. That's coming later in the Bible. But Abraham understood in his mind that God could do anything and that God was going to keep his promises. So he knew, he, he believed in his mind that even if God let him go through with taking Isaac's life, that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Do you and I believe God like that? 
Do we believe God enough to go, you know what, I don't know how He's going to do it, but I know He's made a promise and He will always keep His promises and He'll never break His promises. I just want to encourage you right now. Some of you are in very tough situations. Some of you dads on Father's Day, you're thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through next week, next month. I just want you to know God's promises are yes and amen. What that means is He never has ever broken a promise and He never will because if He breaks a promise, He's going against His own character and God cannot and will not do that. God will always keep His promises to you and you can trust Him and you can believe Him. Abraham did not understand why God was asking him to sacrifice Isaac. He did not understand that he was being tested. He didn't understand that this was a pop quiz of all pop quizzes. But what he did know is this, that he was going to obey God no matter what he asked him to do and that God was still going to keep His promises, even if that included raising Isaac from the dead. Now, Abraham had a reason to believe God could bring dead things to life because he had watched God bring his wife's dead womb to life to bring forth the son. He had all, watch this, when God tests you, he's not a bad teacher. Bad teachers test their students on information they didn't teach them. Now that's a bad teacher, but not God. God had taught Abraham well. God had already taught Abraham that he could bring dead things to life, that an old lady with a dead womb could still have a beautiful young boy. God had already done that. And let me ask you this right now. What has God already taught you in your life about His faithfulness? What has God taught you that He can and will do? When has God kept His promises? What miracles has God done in your life when you look back and you go, I can't believe He did that? Well, then why in the world would you not continue trusting Him? Why in the world would you ever doubt Him? Abraham in this moment understood that God could do the impossible. So he just assumed that that's what he would do. Now, now folks, that is what we call faith. That is what it looks like. And that is one of the great things, this three-day journey that Abraham and Isaac and these guys took. It's one of the great lessons that it teaches us. Remember, these journeys in the Bible are God-designed trips with God-designed lessons. And we get a big lesson from Abraham right now. Trust God no matter what. All right, guys, let's go back to the Bible and finish our story here, our journey with Abraham and Isaac. Verse 6 of chapter 22 of Genesis. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Now remember, he's 15 years old. At this point, Isaac's probably thinking, whoa, 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 dad. Dad, what's going on here? And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Remember, Abraham is talking to his son the way his heavenly father talks to him. And then he said, Isaac said to Abraham, like any 15-year-old would, look, the fire, the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? There's a couple things we see here. We see that Abraham has been a good enough dad that he has modeled worship for his son. His son knows what worship looks like because he's seen his dad worship God. He knows what the elements of worship look like. He knows, hey, when we go worship God, there's a sacrificial animal, there's fire, there's wood for the burnt offering. There's no doubt in this teenager's mind what worship looks like. Why? Because his dad has modeled it for him. His dad has taught him. And I would just say on Father's Day, what a great inspiration. And I know, I bet so many of you dads worked so hard to teach your kids. And I just want to inspire you and encourage you. Keep it up. You don't even realize it. Abraham may have not realized that his son had been watching all those years. He knew exactly what worship required. And so he was able to ask him, hey, dad, there's something missing here. There's something missing from this worship. Do, do your kids watch you worship? Do your kids, dads, know that you love God and that you worship God? Do they know what's required for worship? Isaac did because his dad had shown him that. And Isaac says, there's no lamb for the burnt offering. Where's the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, my son, 
God will provide. What great words. Abraham does not know how he's going to provide. He does not know what God's going to do. We have the advantage of history to see what he's about to do. But Abraham didn't know. But he still is modeling faith for his son. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told them, that'd be Mount Moriah. And Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son. Imagine that. Imagine this moment where he ties Isaac up and laid him on the altar. Now, I think the reason he tied him up, because any, every 15-year-old I know, I have a 15-year-old son. If I start tying him, trying to put him on an altar to sacrifice him, he's running, and there's no way I'm catching him. Remember, Abraham was an old man, so I'm thinking Abraham had to sneak the rope in there. You know what I mean? Because no way is Abraham catching Isaac. So he gets him tied up, got to tie him up, places him there on the altar upon the wood. Look at this. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now what that tells you is intent. Abraham wasn't, wasn't acting. Abraham wasn't putting on a show. This was not going on Sunday morning just because you're a good person and raising your hand and singing a song that you don't mean. Oh no, this rubber has met the road. This is real faith. This is a man who says, God, your boss, even if you ask me to do something crazy, I'll do it. This is obedience in full display. The knife is in hand. The knife is in the air. The sacrifice is on the altar. And Abraham is saying to God, if you want the most important thing in my life on this earth, you want the most closest thing to my heart, I'm putting it on the altar. There is nothing I'll withhold from you. That's what Abraham models here. The book of Hebrews says he went all the way. But, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord, do you know who the angel of the Lord is? When it's capitalized like this, when that phrase is used, it means it's Jesus. In the Old Testament, they didn't know who to call him yet. But we know who he is. We know that Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Son of God, showed up and looks at Abraham, Jesus, the one who himself will lay his life down and go through with the sacrifice for all of us. The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Now notice it's twice. Whenever God calls your name twice, when Jesus calls your name twice, that means something's coming. That means I want your attention. So he said, here I am. And he said, Jesus said to him, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You're Yahid. You have not withheld your son. What have you withheld from God? Could God say to you, you would not withhold anything from me? What is that thing that you today, on this Father's Day, on this Sunday, what do you need to put on the altar before the Lord? Look what it says. Verse 13, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead. Now, that is pointing to us the theological truth of substitutionary atonement. All of this is like a great movie pointing us uh, to, it's a great preview pointing us to the actual movie. This is just a preview of what Jesus is going to do on the cross for all of us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he went through the sacrifice. When the hammer and the nail was in the air, there was no one to stop it. They went through and they crucified him and nailed him to the cross. And Jesus gave his life for us, fully sacrificing himself. And when he did that, he took our place. And what the Bible says here on, on that same set of hills, years and years before Jesus would come on that same set of hills, the Bible says here 
that there was a ram offered instead of Isaac. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. In other words, Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And it certainly would be. Because in these same little hills outside of future Jerusalem, Jesus Himself would give His life and sacrifice Himself. He too would be not just caught in the thicket and in the wood. He'd be nailed to the wood with a crown of thorns on His head for you and I. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. So that means this is Jesus talking. This is God Himself. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. There it is again, this idea of not withholding anything from God. That is the call for us. All the cards on the table. And God knows how to get to our hearts. And He knows how to test us like any great teacher would. And Abraham passed the test. Look what it says. It says, verse 17, Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and they went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. What an incredible story. What an incredible journey. Three days that changed everything. I've been on some three-day trips that felt like a month because they were so awesome. I can promise you that this trip Abraham and Isaac took, they were never the same. It changed their life forever. Now, at the end of every trip, I come home and I tend to not unpack my bags. I bet some of you are the same way. But today what we want is to take a moment and unpack the bags on this journey. We saw this beautiful story, but what can we take away from it today? Just three simple things. Let's now unpack the journey. So now let's unpack the bags from this journey, this three-day journey with Abraham and Isaac. What do we learn here? All right, number one, especially on Father's Day, the first thing we see here, Abraham loved his son. A good dad loves his kids. Abraham loved his son so much that God knew how much he meant to him. He said, he's your Yahid. He is special. He is unique to you. And you love him. It's clear that you love him. So first of all, we see a good dad. Secondly, we see as we unpack this, a great inspiration, not just for dads, but moms and parents and guardians for all of us today. What we can do is we can look at this and we can see this lesson. Not only did he love him, but he taught Isaac. God, Listen, Abraham had taught Isaac how to worship. He taught Isaac how to love God and who God was. At 15 years old, Isaac knew what worship required. Isaac knew how important worship was. Isaac knew that worship required a sacrifice. All of these things this teenager understood. Also, honestly, we see that Isaac was willing to do whatever it took. Isaac let his dad, old dad, feeble dad, tie him up and put him on the altar. So what we see here is a submissive son. All of that is very, very complimentary of the kind of dad Abraham was. Abraham did not just raise Isaac to be successful, to be smart. He raised him to be a godly young man, and he was. So what we see here is he loved his son, and he taught his son about God. But number three, and this is huge, this is huge for every one of us. Abraham loved God more than anything, including his son. 
Now, we live in a culture where often we worship our families. We worship our spouses. We worship our kids. We worship comfort. We worship money. We worship status. And the Bible is clear that we should have no other God before our God, meaning we can't worship anything except for God. So what in our lives, we learn as we unpack this, what in our lives has crept up to a place where it should have never been? What in our lives have we allowed to go simply too far into our hearts? It's okay to love your son. It's okay to love things. It's okay to love your spouse. We certainly should, but we should never worship. God alone deserves that place on the throne of our hearts. And in this story, in this journey, Abraham proved that he loved God even more than Isaac, even more than Isaac. And I bet it's a lesson that Isaac never forgot his whole life. Let me ask you this. Do your kids know you love God more than even them? Does your spouse know you love God even more than her or even more than him? Do you love God more than anything? Jesus in the New Testament said, look, if you don't love me more than father, mother, children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he wasn't saying that you should hate people in your life. No, no, you can love your kids and your family and your spouse and your friends, but you must love God supremely. You must learn to love him supremely. Abraham passed the test because Abraham actually loved God more than he loved anything else and trusted God completely, even to the point that he was convinced God would raise Isaac from the dead if he had to. So today, what a great journey we've learned from today. A three-day journey to the very set of hills where Jesus would one day die. And like the whole Bible does, this journey pointed us right to Jesus because one day Jesus himself would die. Again, no one stopped the hammer and the nails and the whips and the thorns. Jesus took all that for you and I. And just like that ram that God provided in that thicket that day for Abraham took the place of Isaac, Jesus would be sacrificed taking the place for you and I. And today, I would encourage you to trust Jesus. And if he's already your savior, let's celebrate him today. And let's ask that overarching question today on Father's Day 2021. And it's this, is there anything I love in my life simply too much? Is there anything in my life taking the place in my heart reserved only for God? Because listen, you'll crush whatever it is. If you worship your spouse, then you will inevitably be disappointed. Your spouse makes a bad God. Your kids, as great as I'm sure they are, they make bad gods. Anything in your life that you worship besides God makes a bad God. So worship the one true God. Reserve that place for Him and Him alone, and you will find that He is faithful. God is faithful. He keeps His promises. Be blessed today and thank you for joining us for week two of the Journeys series.